turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And we're beginning a new series called The Abundant Life as, well, life requires money. So to have any discussion of an abundant life, we must include a discussion about our finances. So how does God view our financial affairs and what is his role? Do we trust him, avoid him? This series will challenge us to consider how we view God and our money. The message is called The Abundant Life and How to Pay for It. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. What is it about finances, money, that makes people just kind of get weirded out and get worried and want to avoid the subject? I think there's a problem often in talking about money. And I want to thank you for being here. You guys kind of went ahead and showed up and you're like, we didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's why we didn't publish it that much. I mean, what is the deal? Why are we so worried about talking about finances? I know it's an issue that we kind of like to keep private. It's one of those things that I think we, we don't advertise our financial stuff, but the Bible talks a lot about it. Why are we so worried? I think sometimes we're worried that God wants to take our money. You know, it's like God, either he's, he wants to keep us broke or maybe we're shit. Maybe God's broke and he's got his hand out and our money, our net worth is what's going to put him over the edge. That'll do it. You know, if we, if he can get our stuff, then God will be okay for his retirement. I mean, I think sometimes we, we are afraid to talk to money because I'll have to address the train wreck that honestly is my finances. And who wants to address a train wreck when it involves you? I mean, really, I think some people, they get to where it's just, I don't like thinking about money. I don't like talking about money. I'd rather just avoid the subject because it's depressing. Well, that's why this series is called Abundant Life and How to Pay for It. Because I don't think it should be depressing. I I think that shows a gross misunderstanding of what the Word teaches and what God's heart is. In fact, I want us to take a look at this idea of abundant life because we throw that phrase around a lot. We're a church for real life. We throw this idea around. I'm not sure we understand how big an idea this is and how deep it goes in biblical history. So I want to give us a little bit of a history, if you will, of abundant life. We're going to start right at the beginning. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at God's dealing with Abraham. Now, I'm going to be trying out some new technology, okay? Give me a little more flexibility. It'll put the scriptures on our video that people watch online. Uh, The kids were nervous, given Papa electronics, okay? This is Genesis 12. This is God dealing with Abraham. Remember, that's where he started this whole process. I mean, he'd worked in creation, but he chose Abraham to become a nation. His family would become a nation, and God would work through them. And this is what he said in Genesis 12. He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's what God said to Abraham. And it starts with this idea of blessing. Abraham, I want to do something through you. 
I want to bless you abundantly, but I want to do it so significantly that the entire population of the earth is going to be blessed because of you, Abraham. Now, remember in Deuteronomy, Moses is writing down the law. God's given him the law, and he's sharing God's heart. And here's what he's telling the people. This is Deuteronomy chapter 11. Beginning at verse 13, he says, So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. To an agricultural people, this was just abundant blessing. This was their sustenance, their support, their resources. It directly related to their money, if you will. You may gather in your grain, your new wine, your olive oil. I will provide grass in the field for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you'll be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he'll shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. So there's this promise of blessing. That's God's heart. That's his desire. But there's also a warning. Okay, don't get obsessed. Don't start going after other gods, whether it be the blessing itself or other sources that you think will provide it, because that will separate you from the blessing of the Lord and even bring the anger of the Lord, was the warning from Moses. Now skip down to verse 26. Here's what he says. They talk a little bit more about this, and then in verse 26 he says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God and that I am giving you today, The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. So he starts with Abraham and says, I want to bless you. I want to bless others through you. Moses, he continues this thought for God's people. I want to bless you. I want to pour out blessing on you. Look at what David says in the Psalms. He says, blessed or blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Listen, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So here's this biblical idea. God chose to work through a people, a family. And he was going to bring redemption to the whole world. And we understand that. We get that. But part of that redemption was illustrating his love, illustrating his nature, his character, who he is, through this idea of blessing his people. That's God's agenda. It is an agenda of blessing. Now, that is the, it's a word we throw around a lot, the word bless. The word blessing, it's a common word that we see throughout those passages of Scripture. It's a Hebrew concept. The Hebrew word is baraka, and it means favor based on relationship. And that's really important. If you've been doing the Bible reading that we started at the beginning of this year uh, at reallife.org, we've been reading through Genesis, and you've seen the patriarchs and this idea that they bless their offspring. They bless them, and it's not just, oh, I bless you, and it's not some just verbal light thing that's thrown out. It's this actual laying on of hands and the idea of transferring the, the goodness that God has been, been cultivating in their life to their children and their resources with that. So it's this idea of blessing. What's interesting is that as I did a word study on this, the root of this word is also translated as kneel or to the knee or to kneel. 
which I found interesting. But that same root is sometimes translated as pool or reservoir. It's like, that's kind of confusing if you don't know the subtleties of the language. But I find it interesting when you think of kneel and pool, think of submission and supply. Think of submission and supply. And then think of the context of this word blessing, the favor of God based on a covenant relationship with Father. Those who are his, whose heart belongs to him, he is an abundant supply. And I want to suggest, biblically, this is a root principle. Okay, there's principles that, or ideas that you say are branches, they're, they're leaves, they're, they're colors, they're, they're nuances of, of the truth, but there are those that are root principles. This idea that God is a God of blessing and that he wants to pour out blessing, I want to suggest that is a root principle. Now, the Apostle Paul explains our place, because some might say, well, that's great for the Hebrew people. That's for them. That was God's unique covenant with them. That doesn't involve us. Well, the Apostle Paul would say, no, that's not true. In Romans chapter 4, he talks about our relationship. He says, therefore, the promise comes by faith. He's talking this promise of Christ and salvation. The promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. And he goes on, not only to those who are of the law, in other words, the Hebrew people who were born into it follow the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham, he is the father of us all. He's talking to Gentiles. This whole thing, he's saying, you are part of that family. When you become a follower of Christ, when you are saved through the redemption that came through God's people, you become a part of this family. He says, goes on in Romans 11, he says it a different way. He says, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, and the olive tree represented Israel numerous times throughout scripture. And so that you, that we Gentile believers, though an, a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and we now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. He says, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. It's Romans 11, 17, 18. He, he warns against the, the Gentile believers who accept Christ, who would look down their noses at those Hebrews who haven't yet accepted Christ. And he'd say, wait a minute, you, you do understand. Don't, you, don't, you don't get to look down at them. It, that's the root. It supports you. It's not the other way around. That's where we come from. But he's saying you're a part of this covenant. This covenant is for all of us. And what's interesting is I think we understand how God has grafted us into salvation, right? We get that through Jesus Christ, through the cross. We understand that idea. He's grafted us into salvation, and we're so grateful and thankful, and we share about that. I think we even understand how he's grafted us into the mission of redemption. It, he, it says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we get that, okay? We understand. We've got a God who saves us, and then he puts us to work trying to share that message of salvation with the rest of the world. But I'm not sure we understand how God has grafted us into the covenant or the promise of blessing. And I think that's one of our hang-ups. See, I, I get the salvation part. I, I talk to people, and I hear, hear this one, and they say, well, I get the salvation part. I get the mission part. I'm just not sure about the blessing part. Now, I want to say there's a reason for this, and I think it's, it's actually even somewhat legitimate. I think we, get, we, we are a little bit afraid sometimes of getting overboard with this because we've seen abuses of this in the context of the church. If any of you spend any time in the church, I mean, I grew up in the church, and there was a doctrine that was taught called the prosperity doctrine, and it kind of, it was just this kind of flesh-feeding idea that God wants every believer to be financially wealthy, okay? And let me just tell you, that idea will pack a church, 
You know, we really want to pack them out. Let's just start advertising that. I can tell you how to get wealthy using God's principles, and he wants everyone wants to be rich and wealthy. Okay? Um, the problem is it's not biblically defendable. <laughs> defensible. You, you can't defend that idea. It, you just can't. I mean, if that were the case, then God would have a, some apologies to a lot of those first century Christians that we read about. But, but I, I want to suggest that doesn't mean, that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that God truly wants to bless us, and he does want to bless our resources. Here, we always, and this is just the tendency of human nature. So there was an abuse here that was ridiculous. It turned God into some kind of genie in a bottle. Okay? Well, we swing the pendulum the other way. And then we make him some austere, stern, kind of miser who knows the only path to, to our health is for us to be lacking and just have to scrape for everything we get. I want to suggest to you that's every bit as unbiblical as the other idea. It unintentionally, that idea unintentionally fosters this, this picture that God wants us, to, he wants to use us to get his work done, but God help us if we enjoy it too much. He has no intention for us to enjoy it. Kind of we're on our own. And we begin to subtly see God as a user, kind of a needy user, who just wants us to kind of go and do what he needs us to do because he's got an agenda. I want to suggest that is messed up. And, and it affects how we think. So that when Jesus says this, okay, this is John 10.10, 10, we quote it all the time. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We're not sure how to take that. We're not sure what really to do with that it messes us up we don't know if we should take that seriously or is that just a a nice lofty idea but it's not the truth And, and i want to suggest because we don't know how to deal with this idea that he wants us to truly have life have it abundantly we get nervous and we don't know how to address this subject of money we're afraid and this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church, and this message called Abundant Life and How to Pay for It, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. Just look for the series called Abundant Life, where there you can even watch a video podcast of this message and series. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for and what we're all about. In fact, our mission is more people living real life by passionately following Jesus. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azaro, and we believe we were made to have a life full of meaning and purpose that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life is. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts every area of our lives. River City is come as you are and has a relaxed, casual feel with practical teaching, inspirational worship, and age-appropriate ministry for the whole family. We're located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road, across from Rotama Park. Our service times are Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 and Mondays at 7 p.m. River City is a church for real life, and so our home on the web is reallife.org. We hope you'll come and see us as you travel the road to real life. And now back to the message, Abundant Life and How to Pay for It. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. Many of us don't understand or believe in abundant life because we're not sure we trust the God who promises it. And so we're scared. We back away. And, and by the way, that creates this confusion or tension between what we actually say about God and money, because we talk 
a good talk, but then there's this divide between what we say and what we really believe in practice about God and money. And so we run and hide when the subject comes up. Not you guys. You guys are awesome. You're here. But all your friends who aren't here this week, okay? <laughs> Here's what I want us to understand, and I think this is a key idea. Listen, understanding God's heart for your money begins by understanding God's heart for you. Understanding God's heart for your money understands, uh, begins by understanding God's heart for you. And, and here's the great tragedy. The tragedy is not that we misunderstand God's desire for money. Okay, that's bad. But the tragedy is we misunderstand God's heart. The big crime here is Father is being misrepresented. And we don't understand how much he loves us and desires to bless us. Understanding God's heart for your money begins by understanding God's heart for you. See, I I just want to say how much he loves you. You have, as much as, you may have taught it, you may teach it way better than me or any other preacher can teach it. It doesn't matter. You still don't understand because God's love is infinite. And it's not just in general. It's not God's love in general. I mean his love for you. He's crazy about you. Do you know that? He created you. He looks at you and he loves what he created. That doesn't mean everything you do, if you've disobeyed him, you've walked away. That doesn't mean he's happy about that. Don't get me wrong. But you, he passionately loves. As much as you've ever loved a child or one of your children or grandchildren, God loves you more. He really does. You need to know that. I mean, I've got two granddaughters. I am putty in their hands. It's just the most fun thing I've ever been through. You know, Mark and Kara McElmore just had their first grandbaby. They're newbies, newbie grandparents, and I'm loving watching them because they're having fun, right? Any grandparents in the room know it's like, oh, kids were good. Kids were awesome, but there were lots of responsibilities and stuff with that. Grandkids, you love them just as much, but no responsibility. It's wonderful. I love this. I love this part. It's awesome. And as much as I just, when I see those little girls, they run up to me in the foyer. Rylan ran up to me. I was talking to someone. It's halftime, Pop. I always get them a donut at halftime, okay? That's between services, right? That's what we call it, between services. It's halftime, Pop, time for donut, you know? And my heart just goes, oh. <laughs> Do you know God? Because I don't have the capacity to love as much as he does. He looks at you, and it's way beyond that. That's how much he loves you. He wants to you know the angels didn't have to kind of coerce him? Well, you're God and all. You probably should redeem them. Yeah, I mean, they're going to go to hell, so you should do something, I would say. You, you know, nobody had to coerce him. and They didn't have to talk him into it. No, he loves you. He loves you passionately. He loves to see you filled with joy. Do you know that? He loves to see good things happen to you. He loves to give you good things. He loves it when you enjoy his creation and his blessings. He truly does. I, I remember, it, for me, it's one of my best Christmas memories. A um, number of years back, uh, I think Lauren was around 12, Megan Ryan around 9 or 8 or 9, whenever, whenever it was. But, you know, we, we always, we loved Christmas. We celebrated a big time. Lori decorated the house like crazy. It was beautiful. But we, we didn't go overboard with the presents thing. I mean, we always gave gifts, and we, you know, we blessed our kids because it was fun. We, we, we celebrated, you know, the whole thing of Christmas is God gave Christ. And then, so we tried to always give to them and then teach them to give to others and, you know, to minister through that. And so it was great. We loved Christmas. But we didn't go overboard on the gifts. Well, there was one year. 
we'd gotten a little extra money and we were able to do something a little special. And so we did for both the kids. Um, Ryan was already a musician, and at that time he was really into drums and was playing drums, and so we were really able to get him a more serious drum kit. He had a kind of a little kid drum kit, and we were able to get him something that was a little more substantive and serious. And, and you know, we hadn't done something like that. That was, that was awesome. But for Lauren, <clears throat> she, had, she had been taking horseback riding lessons. She'd done horseback riding lessons. She had done horse camp. She'd gone and actually got a job at a stable. Okay, so had to drive her over. She had this little job at a stable where, I'm telling you, she worked way more than she rode, okay? But she'd work, 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 and then get to ride a little bit. And then work, 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 and get to ride a little bit. And so she was serious about it. Well, we started having the conversation about, okay, let's look at getting Lauren a horse. Now, you know, I grew up training horses. So, one, I'm incurably cheap, okay? So that's just the way it is. So I'm only going to get a cheap horse because it's a moral thing at that point. Also understanding that a cheap horse for your child can be dangerous. You know, there's a reason it's cheap. So I, I know this, but I'm a trainer and I, I know how to do this. So I mean, I'm like, okay, I, we, can, we can do this. So we start looking at some horses. And I'm like, that horse might work. Lori's like, you are not buying my daughter that horse. Okay? I'm not putting her on that. So we go, we look, and she finds this little ad for a horse. And, you know, it's fine. We go and look at it. And we get there, and I'm like, surprised. This is a really nice-looking little horse. It's a little Arab, an Arabian, and it's beautiful. I mean, just really a beautiful little horse. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, slick and groomed like that, but I, I can see immediately, this is, this is a nice horse. He's got some nice confirmation. It's a serious animal. And I'm like, okay, what's wrong with him? <laughs> and so I ask him, I said, okay, what's wrong with him? And they're like, well, see, we can't exactly get a bridle on him. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and, and it's true. The, the horse had been somehow abused or something. He would not let you touch its ears. His head would not let anybody put a bridle over. I mean, he went berserk when you tried. Well, we had brought a bridle to, to try the horse, and so I just unsnapped the bridle, and he lets me put it around his neck. I put it in his mouth, lets me put it around his neck and buckle it, and I got a bridle on him. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you're a wizard. Oh. <laughs> so I got on the horse, and I'm blown away. This isn't just a pretty horse. Somebody had trained. This was a fine animal. I mean, somebody had trained him well. Some, I mean, he had a rein on him. I mean, he was easy to ride. He was incredible. I was just like, holy cow. And the whole thing was they couldn't do anything with him because nobody could put a bridle on him. Well, you just take the bridle apart. The whole time we owned the horse, we had to take the bridle apart. It never got over that. But I'm like, wow, I'm interested, but this is all I've got. This horse should have been like four times more than what we paid for him. Easy. I'm like, this is all I've got. And they're like, take him. Take him. We're just glad he's going to go to a real home. And we thought that, you know, somebody was going to have to destroy this horse or something because nobody could do anything with it. So for the whole time we had him. And Christmas morning, it was so cool. Um, <clears throat> we had a drum set for Ryan. He was, like, blown away and awesome. And Lauren, we had a halter in a box. And she's like, well, I guess it's something. I said, Thank you. That's <laughs> no, but she's like, no, you're kidding. And we're like, no, we're not. And so we had worked a deal with the stable right here next to us. And so we just had a little pen. We had to feed, but we had to come out twice a day. We bought our own feed. We came out fed twice a day. We took care of the horse, did all the stuff. And I have to tell you, those, both of those things, we still play music together, obviously, with Ryan and our whole family. And uh, that was years, taking care of that horse, enjoying that time at the stable together. Just an awesome thing that our whole family did that 
it was just something that gave my heart joy to be able to give to the kids and to see them. They were just blown away. I have to tell you, any of you who've ever blessed your kids or blessed somebody like that, to see them just absolutely overjoyed with something like that, do you understand that's God's heart towards you? I mean, that's what we have to understand. As much as I enjoyed that because it was something that was good for them, something that was fruitful and something that that blessed them, I enjoy that that's for me stands out as an awesome memory. That's how God feels towards you. And you need to know, a lot of us don't think that way. I grew up Pentecostal, right? So I knew God is hardcore, you know? I knew God wanted me kind of a spiritual boot camp for my whole life. And, you know, that that was kind of the, the, the... the way, and I, I don't know that anybody ever told me that. It's, you pick things up. I don't know that I really picked up the idea of God truly just delighting and blessing his children. Recently, Lori's parents had a piece of property right next door to theirs, a beautiful piece of property, you know, and they offered it to us to be able to build a house. That's something we wanted to do, but we weren't pursuing it. And we don't, we don't feel like we can just automatically say yes on something like that. We have to say, Lord, is this something you have? Because you know what the future holds. You know what you have for us. We don't get to just say, oh, that's great. Good opportunity. Let's do it. So we started praying about it. And we weren't sure. And I was, I was hesitant because it was really pretty. It was a pretty piece, and I really liked it. But that right, right away, I'm like, I don't know that I trust my heart on that. And so we prayed. We did research. We did all the stuff. Well, one day I was up there. I went up to the property, and I was praying. And I remember this specifically because it was a turning point for me, this whole process. I said, Lord, don't let me get caught up or just be too moved by the beauty of this place. Don't let that, don't, don't let me get caught up or too influenced by that. And, and God said, why do you think I made it? That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message called Abundant Life and How to Pay for It, It's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.